When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. is meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Psychologically Minded. My name is Grace Fowler, and today we are talking about the movie Booksmart. So I wanted to do something kind of fun for the month of March, because March is Women's History Month, um, and as this is a a pretty unabashedly feminist podcast. I thought it would be a really cool thing to focus on some women-centric or feminist-centric media for the episodes for the next um, four weeks. So I'm going to kick it off with Booksmart because I think this movie is a fresh and a feminist take on a trope of like teen movies or coming-of-age movies, and I think it has a lot to offer Um, both psychologically and also from a feminist perspective. So I thought this was a great movie to kind of kick the month off with. I also want to say that over on the Instagram feed, which is underscore psychologically underscore minded underscore, uh, or the link will be in the show description, uh, I'm going to be posting uh, profiles of women psychologists uh, who over the years have like contributed to the field. Um, So give us a follow over there on the Instagram page if you want to see that content as well. So I just kind of wanted to do, basically do something special for Women's History Month. And this was the way I thought I could bring a little extra special content. Um, But with all that being said, I'm going to go ahead and dive in to the movie Booksmart. So this film came out in 2019. This is actually, I think, one of the last movies that I saw in theaters before the dreaded pandemic um and I remember seeing it like at an indie theater it was so good I was sobbing I was sitting like in the front row of the theater like just having a moment um so this is a I think one of one of my probably favorite movies especially in this genre of like teen coming of age like friendship movies I will say that if you haven't watched the movie I highly 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 recommend watching it whether you listen to this episode first or not, because I think that taking the movie in its entirety, like including the cinematography, especially the soundtrack and just the whole thing in its like visual audio context makes this movie so good. Everything works together so well. The casting is fantastic. Um, And if you're a fan of shows like The Office or Veep, um, the casting director for those shows, Allison Jones, she also was the casting director for Booksmart, um, and she's a fantastic casting director, so you know you can trust um, the the actors that she's put into these roles. The film was also directed by Olivia Wilde. This was her like directorial debut. 
so it's directed by uh, a woman, and I believe most of the writing team identifies women as well. So that also, I think, really helps to set the tone, and again, is what makes this movie a good fit for our Women's History Month series that we're gonna we're gonna be diving into. So the premise of the movie is centered around this friendship between two girls, Molly and Amy. Uh, both of them are high achieving, kind of nerdy girls who really chose school over social life while they were in high school. So we're meeting them on the last day of school, the day before graduation. We learn pretty quickly that they're kind of these like overachievers. They were in every club. They did every extracurricular activity, straight A's, like high SAT scores. Like they did everything that you would expect someone needs to do to get into an Ivy League school. And Molly has been admitted to Yale and Amy has been admitted to Columbia. Um, Molly is like the class president. She wants to be a judge, like a Supreme Court justice. Like that's her life plan. (laughs) Um, She's also kind of the more aggressive friend. She tends to like push Amy to pursue things, particularly relationships, um, because Amy is gay and came out in their sophomore year of high school, but has never dated another girl or like had any type of romantic relationship or even really like any romantic entanglements if you will um so molly is our our kind of dominant one in the relationship um and she's also like more dominant in the school setting like she is the class president we see her kind of like bossing around other students um and she she has this more like kind of I guess you could say there's like aggressive or abrasive personality, but she's very like confident in what she wants and she's like not afraid to speak up. Whereas Amy is kind of set up to be very different from her and then Amy is a lot more shy. She's very meek, um, but she is also very politically minded and we learn that Amy is like the first person to go to a protest. Uh, She's actually going to spend the summer before college in Botswana volunteering to help um, women make tampons and like do this uh, feminine hygiene program. Um, so she's very passionate, has a lot of causes that she's passionate about. Uh, and that also includes like being very inclusive about everyone. She doesn't hold a lot of opinions about the people in their class. Uh, and so that's really counter to Molly, who ha- has a lot of strong opinions about their classmates. So those are our two main characters, Molly and Amy. The girls are really, really close, um, and we'll eventually find out that they uh, have a a code word for when one needs to unconditionally support the other one, and they they call Malala, uh, which is in reference to uh, a young woman who was, I believe, shot in the head by the Taliban. She's an Afghani girl. and she like survived and, and is a, a very brave um, figure. And so they use that term to basically be like, you need to be brave for me right now. Um, so that, and I think that also there's just those little things kind of illustrate like the types of girls that Molly and Amy are, that they're kind of, they, they're not only just like politically motivated, but, um, or politically active and aware, but that they are like very interested in like women's rights politics that have to do with women and feminism, and this is really their identity. Um, But it's never stated like, oh, Molly and Amy are feminists. It's just their whole being, the whole way that they interact with each other and with others kind of highlights that they are feminists, but they are also different in their feminism, right? Like I mentioned, Molly has like a lot of very strong opinions, and some of those are, can be quite like 
detrimental to other women. She engages in some slut-shaming in the beginning of the movie, and Amy just does not engage in that and makes it very clear that she's not okay with that. And those, those little areas are where they differ in their beliefs. I think that's a really subtle but cool way to show that Molly and Amy are these like very, very close friends who have differences and they are their own individual, like unique people. And that actually is one of the kind of the major themes of the movie is kind of figuring out how they can be their own independent people within this very close, tight-knit friendship. So those are our main characters. Some of the other characters that we're going to be seeing throughout the movie Um, the first two are Gigi and Jared. So Jared is like the rich guy at school. No one seems to really like him, especially at the beginning of the movie. He's kind of awkward. He doesn't seem to know how to interact with people his age or adults, um, and seems to think that you can use your money to make friends and that all he has to do is buy his classmates things and they will be friends with him. Um, and then he has a very close friend, Gigi, who most people assume that Gigi and Jared are dating, but they're not. Um, and Gigi is like, she, she's just a very bizarre person. She's always wearing like, she's covered in jewels, like flowy clothes, like crazy outfits. And she's always falling over and like rolling around. She seems to be pretty much 24 seven on some sort of like hallucinogenic substance. Um, but she and Jared kind of make, they're, they're also, um, like, foils to each other in the way that Molly and Amy are, and that, like, where Jared is, like, very kind of constrained and nervous, Gigi is, like, an open, I guess you would describe her as, like, a free spirit, um, and they, they kind of, like, complement each other and are kind of always seen to be together. Um, then we have Nick and Ryan, so Nick and Ryan actually become the two main love interests of the film, so Nick is Molly's uh, vice president at school, and we find out halfway through the movie that she actually has a huge crush on him, um, and thinks, like, he's very attractive, even though she is very mean to him, and, uh, kind of thinks that he's stupid, (laughs) um, but she, she is able to reveal that, like, she, she is attracted to him, um, and then Ryan is, uh, and, and Nick and Ryan are part of, like, the same kind of skater kids group, and Ryan is one of the girls of the group. She's kind of like a, I don't know, I guess you would say like a, kind of like a tomboy, but she's got like cute curly blonde hair and she's always kind of hanging out with these skater people. And she, she has kind of that like, both Nick and Ryan have this kind of like easygoing, but maybe not very bright (laughs) kind of uh, personality and way of being. And Amy has a huge crush on Ryan. um, And is trying to like work up the courage to interact with her. And so that actually sets up kind of the I guess main conflict or main like motivating point of the movie is that Molly pushes Amy to go speak to Ryan. She does and Ryan tells her like, "Oh, there's going to be a big party at the you know tonight to celebrate the end of school. Maybe I'll see you there. Like it would be really cool to hang out with you outside of school." So Molly is like, of course, we have to go to this party so that Amy can hang out with Ryan and, you know, finally have her first kiss with a girl. Um, So that's Nick and Ryan there. They're kind of foils for Amy and Molly in that Amy and Molly are, again, these like high overachievers and Nick and Ryan are kind of portrayed to be like easygoing, laid back, uh, not as uptight about school 
and but both of the girls have crushes on Nick and Ryan and want to you know be with them even though they're so different from each other so that that is that is our setup another main character that I think is important and she's going to come up later in the story is um, a girl named Annabelle Uh, so she is another classmate of Molly and Amy's and she actually has a pretty derogatory nickname of triple a and the reason the kids at school call her triple a is that there are rumors going around that she gave quote-unquote roadside assistance to several other boys in the class in that they needed to be picked up after having their car break down and so she went to go pick them up and then performed oral sex on them so that's her nickname is triple a um because it was allegedly on the side of the road like like you would call triple a um and so this is one of the scenes where we see where this nickname is explained we see how amy and molly differ in that molly freely uses the nickname triple a um and actually has like a lot of disdain for Annabelle and kind of sees her, you know, she slut shames her and, and sees Annabelle as being like not worthy or not as accomplished because she has this reputation of engaging in, in oral sex or, or sexual activity. And Amy puts her foot down and says like, don't call her that, you know, there's no reason to use that name. Um, and, and Amy doesn't seem to have any qualms about how sexually active her peers are um, and doesn't like assign them any worth based on whatever sexual activities they, they've done. Um, so that's Annabelle. And another reason why Molly pushes Amy to go to the party is that, so, so Amy's motivation is kind of like Ryan is going to be there, right? She's going to have a chance to kind of hang out with this girl that she's crushing on. But Molly is in the gender-neutral bathroom that, of course, Amy advocated for on their campus, and she hears Annabelle and two of their classmates, two of the boys, kind of talking trash and talking about Molly and saying, like, she's, she would be cool if it wasn't for her personality, which is basically like saying everything about her is awful because your personality is kind of all of you, Um, and she overhears them and then, you know, comes out of the stall and is like, well, I don't care what you guys have to say about me because I'm going to Yale. And she finds out that Annabelle is also going to Yale. One of the boys is going to Stanford and one of the other boys has been recruited to immediately start coding for Google. So they're all like getting into good schools and they didn't dedicate themselves to school in the same way, right? Like they had fun throughout high school and they still got into really good schools uh, or are really bright and have been recruited for, for great careers. And so she kind of spins out, goes out into the hallway and asks a lot of the other students in their class where they're going to college. And she finds out that they're pretty much all going to Ivy League schools. And this is what pushes Molly over the edge uh, to wanting to go to this party is that, you know, it's, she doesn't think it's fair that she doesn't quite understand actually like how she and Amy like dedicated their whole lives to college or getting ready for college and didn't have fun, didn't stray from their path. And they're pretty much at the same level as their peers who really did have fun <laughs> during school. Um, and so she is determined of like, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to finish off high school without having gone to a party. So again, because Molly is the more kind of aggressive or dominant friend, she kind of makes the decision of like, we're going to go to this party so that you can meet Ryan and so that 
nobody thinks that both of us are losers because we're going to actually show up to a party. Um, and I think it's really sweet that their original plans for the night of graduation were they had a special cake and they were going to go through their memory box of like all their, their times together and they were going to have like this very special friendship night, um, which I probably would watch a movie about that as well. <laughs> um, but this is like, this is so out of character for them. So this is what starts off like the main crux of the movie is these two girls getting to the party. And of course, they wear matching outfits and <laughs> they are ill-prepared to go to this party. They don't even know where the party is, um, but thus begins their adventure. So the whole movie takes place over this one night of them trying to get to Nick's party. Um, and they end up going to three parties. So the first party is Jared. So that's the, the rich guy from school. Um, so they, they can't figure out the address for Nick's party. So Molly ends up calling Jared because he... Uh, has a pretty big crush on her. We we kind of get a hint of that at the beginning of the movie. Jared is crushing on Molly. So he comes to pick them up, tells them he's taking them to the party, but he ends up taking them to his party, which is on a boat. <laughs> and it's just like an egregious display of wealth. Like there are gift bags with iPads. He's made personalized hats for everyone in his class. Um, but the only other person there is Gigi and then Molly and Amy because they were essentially kidnapped and brought to this party. Um, and so they realize, like, this is not what we wanted out of the night. And Molly kind of has a moment with Jared where she tells him, like, this is not working. Like, you can't just spend money and try to get people to pay attention to you. Um, and this is an imp- this seems like a random detail, but it is important. Gigi gives them both strawberries. <laughs> um, and it turns out that those strawberries have hallucinogens in them, and that comes into play at the next party that they go to. So they get off the boat. Uh, Molly, Amy is basically ready to throw in the towel. She's like, we did it. We went to our first high school party, like our first and only. <laughs> we were good. And Molly is like, absolutely no. This wasn't even a party because there was nobody there. And Molly calls Malala and is like, I want to do this. I want to go to Nick's party. Like, back me up. So they, they're like, okay, all in, all in. So they end up getting a lift ride and going to the next address they're given, which is from one of their classmates. And they're, they they take the lift to the party. And it turns out it's not Nick's party. It is a party being thrown by the drama club. And it is a murder mystery party. So everyone is in like crazy costumes, playing different characters. And because it's the drama kids, like the stereotype of drama kids is like that everything is a over the top performance for them. So everyone is like crying and screaming and almost throwing themselves down the stairs <laughs> um, about this like fake murder. Um, and they run into Gigi again. And when they're talking to Gigi, Gigi tells them like, oh, there was drugs in the strawberries I gave you. And the girls begin to feel the effects of the drugs and they hallucinate themselves in the scene where they are seen as um, Barbie dolls, basically, um, dressed up as the characters they were given for the murder mystery. So Amy is like a farmer girl, and Molly is supposed to be an orthodontist, but she's her doll is in like a sexy nurse outfit. And they they you know they have this whole thing where they're like, well, we can't really walk, our legs don't bend, our proportions are so out of whack that we can't really stand up. And they cl- climb up to a mirror, and Molly is like, this is outrageous is like everything we've ever stood against you know like as young feminist women like these dolls like this type of body is not acceptable and Amy kind of gets sucked in and she's like wow like I look hot like she's starting to kind of 
get wrapped up and thinking that she looks really good and saying like I could just stay like this forever and and Molly tries to shake her out of it um and so they they there's this whole little scene where they're kind of going through like thinking that they're these dolls uh but really what they're saying is like they're, they're having basically the dialogue that I think women or girls have with themselves about like these these types of toys right of like or or these not even toys but just like these body standards right of like yeah I think it's like really crappy that the world or society thinks that I should be like a size zero but also have like proportions out of control on my body and that my whole life should be dedicated to maintaining that but at the same time I think I look really good (laughs) when I am able to meet those beauty standards for whatever reason right whether it's internalized um, misogyny or, you know, internalizing the beauty standards or just actually thinking that that's how you want to look, enjoying that for yourself. Um, I think that is like a struggle that women and, and young, particularly young women, I think go through a lot is kind of rationalizing beauty standards for, for yourself and how, how you fit into that. And so I think the dialogue between Molly and Amy, when they're hallucinating themselves as dolls is uh kind of reflective of that and an interesting detail is that that conversation or that hallucination takes place in a little girl's room because they they go upstairs in the room of this house and it's just like a family home and they're in the room of their classmates little sister so there are like these toys surrounding them i thought that was just like a interesting little detail to have this conversation be in a child's room where a child that age may not be aware of this kind of push and pull between the beauty standards of the toy or of society, um, but these older girls, these like teens, can be aware of this and have this conversation in this setting, uh, which you know is probably influencing their their hallucinations. So they get through that; they they're, they're able to kind of make it through the trip, uh, and they 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 escape outside. And again, Amy is like, "Okay, we did it. We've now done drugs. Like, <laughs> party's over. I'm ready to go home." And Molly is like, no, I really want to make it to Nick's party. And this is when we find out that Molly has a crush on Nick and does want to, you know, like be closer to him. Amy, being the supportive, loving friend that she is, is like, okay, if you want to go see Nick tonight, then we're going to see Nick tonight. So they figure out a way to get to the party by ambushing a pizza man who ends up being, who turns out to be a serial killer, Um, but he doesn't kill them. A convoluted uh, series of events, they end up at Nick's party in new outfits, so they're not in matching outfits anymore, um, and they they kind of split off, Nick is spending time with Molly, and she thinks they're vibing really well, they're flirting a lot, um, most likely because Nick is pretty inebriated <laughs> at this point in the night, um, and Amy goes off to find Ryan and hang out with her and so both girls are having an experience with their like romantic interests at the same time but they're this is the first time in the night that they're really separated um and they're not having an experience together and so while molly is hanging out with nick he uh steps away and tells her he'll be right back and ryan brings amy out to the pool and this is i think this is like the peak of the plot And this is also, I think, the point where the soundtrack is just so spot on. Like, the song that plays throughout this is, like, so emotional. So Ryan is, like, leads Amy out to the pool. Like, they're going to take off their clothes, jump into the pool in their underwear. There's, like, a bunch of other kids in the pool. And Amy dives in. She 
has been feeling like she and Ryan are vibing. They've been like really touchy with each other. She she kind of thinks like this is it. It's happening. She's diving through the pool. When she resurfaces, she sees that Nick and Ryan are making out in the pool. And of course, she's devastated because she you know has a crush on Ryan. But she's also devastated for Molly because she's just found out that Molly has a crush on uh, Nick. And so Amy gets out of the pool. She kind of makes her way stunned over to where Molly is. And this is when the girls have their biggest fight. I mean, they're really their only fight, but it's a huge fight. Um, Amy, not wanting to hurt Molly's feelings at the party, just says, I think we should go. And Amy calls Malala and is like, you have to come. Like, we have to go now. Like, you have to support me. Uh, Molly won't, refuses. And and this is when they start to fight. And, And Amy verbalizes her feelings about Molly always kind of picking what they do. And she says, like, you always force me to do things, like, or, or you you tell me what to do and I never get a say. And and Molly kind of fires back with, well, if, if I wasn't there to decide, you wouldn't do anything. Um, and again, another, I think, really subtle way that, and this is why I recommend watching the film itself, another subtle way that the film kind of does its storytelling is, as the girls are fighting, the camera shifts back and forth from whoever is 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 yelling, um, and a very emotional song is playing <laughs> underneath. But we also see in the background all of the kids at the party pulled out their phones, and some of them are recording this fight. Um, and it's been established throughout the film that like Molly and Amy's friendship is well known in the school, so them having a fight is a big deal. There's also something so painful about having this like very personal, very raw moment recorded by your classmates. And this goes back to the point I made in the Pick Me Girls episode about going through like puberty or adolescence in the age of social media. And I can't imagine having a, a fight with one of my dearest friends, like not only witnessed by all my classmates, but also captured forever. And the the plot of the movie doesn't go into like if if anyone posted it online if it's like on a YouTube video or anything but I I I think again part of the really subtle storytelling is like this is a possibility that this incredibly intimate not in a good way but like like this is a private moment between Amy and Molly that shouldn't be seen by anyone else and they're having difficulty like keeping their emotions in check they're saying really hurtful things to each other uh th- things that like they because they know each other so well, they know will cut and hurt the other person. And they're having this kind of argument, especially in the context of Amy trying to save Molly's feelings uh, and, and of being deeply hurt by this moment. And, you know, I think, especially as we get older, <laughs> like as a person who's in their late 20s watching this, there's a little bit of it that's like, eh, you know, the person you liked kissed somebody else, like, Whatever, you, you you kind of move on from that. But when you're like 17, 18 years old, and, and especially for these girls that have never had these experiences for, you know, Molly and Amy, this is devastating, right? Like this is this is you thinking that you'll never love again, that the, these big, big feelings are happening and then to not be supported by your friend in them. Or like Amy just essentially feels like her heart is broken, but her friend isn't supporting her in this. Um, and so... And although this scene, this scene always makes me cry <laughs> every time I watch it, the Molly Amy fight always makes me cry because I've been that girl. Like I've been in that fight with a friend and you're just saying like such hurtful things to each other because this is the person who knows you the best and they know your insecurities and know how to point them out. And there's, and the feeling of just like somebody hurting you so, so, so deeply. And, and, and it just, it gets me every time I watch it. 
Um, but I, I think this is also the authenticity of the film is to show this moment as being like so devastating to both of them because the most important relationship in their lives up until this moment has been each other. And this is like a breakup. Like, honestly, I think this is filmed as like a breakup, a very public breakup happening. And that's what it feels like when you're this age and you're like moving away from a friend or having a fight like this with a friend. Um, So again, this is like the peak, peak conflict of the movie. They separate. um, Amy goes off to the bathroom. Molly goes to sit. And we we kind of assume that she's still waiting for Nick to come back. Um, And Molly and Jared actually end up having a conversation where she's able to see that that Jared is like a person (laughs) um, and he has like hopes and dreams and he's kind of nerdy and really into musicals. Um, and she, she's kind of able to, to understand him and, and learn more about his relationship with Gigi and why he takes care of her. He, he tells her, like, I take care of her. She's a sad person, but she's very special. And, and he, he kind of talks about how he takes care of her. And so she learns more about him. Um, and then Amy in the bathroom, uh, she goes into the bathroom and there's another girl in there who's kind of the school, uh, bully. And they... She, the school bully says like horrible things to Amy, of course. And Amy, because she's just had this like horrible experience, is angry. She kind of flies off the handle, and then in a classic like anger to love moment, the two girls kiss, and they start hooking up. They're like making out, taking each other's clothes off. Um, but because Amy's never done this before, she's getting very nervous. She c- takes a pause, sits up to grab a drink of something that's there in the bathroom. So there's like a cup on the tub. She grabs the cup. It has like cigarette butts in it. And so she drinks it and she throws up. She throws up all over this girl. And it's like the worst end to a first hookup you could ever, ever have. Like she literally pukes all over the girl. The girl runs into the shower and Amy, like embarrassed, uh, you know, darts out of the room. So nobody's having a good night at this point can't get any worse uh the cops show up most of the kids have run away before inside but there's a group of kids who are kind of trapped inside the house they can't sneak past the cops so amy being the like political activist that she is sacrifices herself creates a distraction so the rest of the kids can get out and ends up getting arrested and taken to jail um and she's there the movie takes place in la so she's actually in the glendale jail which i thought was so interesting you know, not the most memorable landmark, but does, you know, kind of orient the, the, the story to the area. Um, as this is happening, Molly starts to walk home because she has, has no way of getting home and her phone has died. And she gets picked up by Annabelle um, and kind of gets called out on the, the stuff that she said. And, and Annabelle talks to her and says, like, I don't want to be called triple A at Yale because they're going to go to the same school together. Um, and they kind of they kind of come to an understanding and... Annabelle is able to explain to Molly, like, yes, some of the rumors are true. Confirms that, yeah, she has had oral sex with some boys. But she explains, like, I, because I wanted to. Like, this is something that I enjoy. And I'm not going to do this at home where my parents live. And this was the only place. And, And she was like, it's not fair that the boys don't get called that when they were the ones participating in the same exact event that I was. Um, and Molly is really able to see that point of view. It, basically, from the fight on, Molly really has, like, a, I guess you'd call it, like, a come-to-Jesus moment about the way that she treats her peers. See her start to be a little more open um, about other people's experiences and a little less, like, judgmental toward others. Um, so she she makes it home. 
Uh, Molly wakes up the day of graduation. She didn't know that Amy had been arrested. She finds out because everyone from school is texting her and she sees a video of it. Um, so she runs down to the jail. She gets Amy out of jail and they make it to graduation just in the nick of time for Molly to give her valedictorian speech, which she revamps. She kind of just does on the fly and she kind of acknowledges like, yeah, high school was weird, but it also was good. Um, and I wish I had gotten to know you better. She kind of acknowledges, like, she she kept that distance between them. Um, and that's it. They're done. They're graduated. Basically, all that's left in the movie is for the girls to, to go off onto their own adventures. And the final scene, another scene that makes me absolutely sob every time, is Molly is driving Amy to the airport to drop her off for her trip to Botswana. They're having trouble saying goodbye to each other. It's, like, a very uncomfortable... They're not really talking about their feelings. They're just kind of like, okay, like, I'll see you. Like, have fun on your flight. Like, they just, like, can't really get to the emotional place that, that they, I know they're feeling. And they walk off, or Amy walks off toward the airport, and Molly is getting ready to drive off. Um, and just when you think that, like, that's it, that the end of the movie is going to be this kind of painful, uncomfortable goodbye, Amy jumps in front of the car, and she's like, I don't have to be the first one on the plane. Like, let's go get pancakes. And they kind of ride off to have one more like meaningful moment together and we realize that they truly have reconciled um and they're going to be okay like they're going to be able to maintain their friendship um as they move into this next stage of their life and then it you know cuts to credits um so that is the synopsis of the movie a couple of themes that really stood out for me which I got some really good analysis from a video essay on YouTube, which I've linked to in the sources page by Deleuze Productions, was kind of talking about how this um, film uses the stereotypes that we typically see in teen movies. So Molly, for example, Molly is like the nerdy, nerdy girl, but she's not like meek and shy, right? She's like pretty ambitious and, and pretty aggressive, Um Amy is the opposite of her, like, they, they kind of all start out as these stereotypes, right? Like, Molly is, like, the go-getter, Amy is, like, the shy, basically closeted girl, you know, Jared is just, like, annoying rich guy, Nick is, like, dumb jock, Ryan is dumb skateboarding girl, um, but by the end of the movie, they kind of all learn more about each other and, and kind of are able to see different facets and that they're not just, like, these one-dimensional um, characters, and we, as the audience, get to go along with that, too. And I think the biggest illustration of that is Annabelle, because she has this reputation, or we're told she has this reputation for being the quote-unquote, like, slutty one, or being the one who, like, sleeps around, and there's, you know, this horrible nickname for her. As the movie goes on, we find out that, you know, she is very bright, she works very hard, she got into Yale, um, but also that she is aware of the rumors that they are hurtful to her and that she honestly doesn't see the point of them because she's something that she enjoys, right? Like oral sex is something that she enjoys doing and her partners enjoy doing with her, but it's not the same type of shame being assigned to her male partners for the act that they're doing together consensually, right? There's two parties involved um, in, in this act, but the reputation is not the same for Annabelle's it is for the boys involved in the, in the situation as well. Um, and, you know, I think in some more classic or stereotypical teen movies, you might see a character like Annabelle just kind of continue to be shown to be, like, slutty or to be, you know, promiscuous and or, or even to just be, like, kind of dumb and there not be any other 
facets to her personality or for her to not care, like just not even be aware of the rumors. Um, and so giving her this, we get some opportunities to learn more about her and see how these things affect her. These comments affect her. Um, it's same with Jared, right? Like he's the rich guy. He like, everyone's annoyed by him, but it turns out that he is very sweet and able to care for others because he cares for, uh, Gigi so well. And that, you know, he's in a musical theater. Like that's what he wants to do with his life is like, produce musicals like new musicals um and that he's there jared isn't just this like exaggerated persona he puts out there but there is like a a depth to him and a softness and an insecurity um and and molly is able to see that and molly really is the one who has to go through that journey because from the beginning amy is the one who understands like she's very inclusive right like people are people they do what they do and we don't have to agree with everything that we they do, but we're not the ones to pass judgment. Whereas Molly loves to pass judgment. I mean, she wants to be a Supreme Court justice, right? She's just practicing. <laughs> uh, but Molly really has to go through that journey of like understanding um, other people and kind of taking their perspective. And I think this also goes into a, another theme that I identified, which was like this this rigid worldview. Um, and Molly has this the most. I think she illustrates this theme the most. Is that she has one way of looking at the world, right? Her way of looking at the world is you do X, Y, and Z for four years of high school, and that means you get rewarded with going to what she would call like the best school, right? Like the best, the best. Um, why might not call it that? <laughs> Her opinion, like the top school you could get into, and and this is the way that she looks at the world. And if you aren't doing X, Y, and Z, then you don't deserve to get into the school. So when she looks around at her classmates who haven't done debate club or student government or grades or you know whatever she looks around and she doesn't see people doing those same activities she can't comprehend why then they would get into the schools that she sees as a reward like that they're not worthy of the reward that she has and that molly really has this like very rigid it's, it's a black and white way of looking at the world right and it's kind of a legalistic way right of like if you did these things, then you get rewarded. And if you didn't do these things, then you get punished. And she has two camps, the punished and the rewarded. And where you slot into those camps decides how she's going to treat you. And in her esteem, like she and Amy pretty much are in the reward camp and everyone else should be punished. Uh, And so she has a lot of difficulty is confronted and it's found to not be true right that there are these 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 kids these children (laughs) these other teens in her class who didn't appear to be doing what she was doing but got into the same school got rewarded in the way that she thought only she deserved to be um and so i think whether it's looking at the school or looking at the the stereotypes that molly really does have to like kind of let loose of this rigid worldview um, and, and I think her reaction at the beginning of the movie where she really kind of spirals out of control and it, it looks like she's having a panic attack, like she's, she's, she's freaking out. Okay. She's freaking out, um, uh, when she finds out that Annabelle is going to Yale as well and that some of the other kids are going to Ivy Leagues. Um, I think Nick got into Georgetown. She, she like, she, she falls apart. And I think this is a really good illustration of when we are so cognitively rigid, right? When we have one idea of looking at the world and it's really hard for us to integrate new perspectives, how that can impact us and impact essentially our mental health when we're confronted with evidence that disproves or challenges that worldview. 
Um, and and I, I this makes me think also of the episode on conspiratorial thinking, which is like the second episode that I did. But this idea of like uh, having one way of looking at the world and then not being able to integrate in new information or having to like really distort the information to fit your worldview is how we end up believing in conspiracy theories. And I'm not saying that Molly is a conspiracy theorist um, or that that is what's happening at all, but I just think it's a good reminder and getting to, to talk about this movie is a good reminder of what happens when we get really locked in to our worldview or or one opinion and we're not able to hold other people's opinions um, and that it can be really damaging to ha- to have that uh, like that confrontation and not be prepared for it right Molly was not prepared to find out that those other kids were going to Ivy Leagues um, and so being able to maintain like cognitive flexibility or an openness to other people's experiences can make that confrontation or that challenge a little less traumatic or a little less difficult um and and I think also can can kind of make it easier to get along with other people right if you're able to at least take their perspective right Amy is able to take the perspective of the other students in her class that's why she's not as her world isn't ruined when she finds out they're going to the Ivy Leagues too um she's she's able to to kind of shift and take that perspective and understand um how that's possible so those are those are some of the themes that I saw I also think that you have to talk about female friendships in the context of this movie. Um, you know, Amy and Molly obviously prioritize each other and are unconditionally supportive for the most part, right? Like we see in the big fight that Molly isn't being unconditionally supportive and that may actually be indicative of a larger pattern where Molly is the less supportive friend or less able to go all in to support Amy, whereas Amy is able to go all in to support Molly. Um, but one of the things that kind of tests their supportiveness for each other is their own interests, right? So, like, their own love interests conflict within the relationship. Um, and the girls have to realize how they they can repair their friendship and kind of make space for their own lives within their relationship with each other. And another thing that comes up in the big fight is that um, Amy originally was going to go to Botswana for one summer, but she ends up extending it. She she is going to go for an entire year, but she didn't tell Molly that. And so that comes up in the fight that she's going to be gone for a whole year and she's going to defer Columbia and go to Columbia the year after Molly, which for Molly, another tailspin because Molly has planned their lives out so that they graduate at the same time. They're able to take a trip together after college at the same time. Like she has everything planned out based on when they both start college. And Amy tells her, like, I couldn't tell you that I changed my plans because I knew you would try to talk me out of it. Um, And so this, I think, is their friendship will not be able to mature or grow grow with them as they move out of high school if they can't resolve that issue of Molly allowing there to be flexibility and Amy having and standing up for herself. Right. Like, you know, it's it's a two way street. Like Molly may be the more dominant friend or the more domineering person and and make a lot of these decisions, but Amy hasn't been able to stick up for herself and she can't expect to have her needs valued if she's not able to state them or or even state her, not just her needs but what she wants to do. Um and that her fear of losing Molly has prevented her from sharing with Molly what she really wants. Um and it's more, I think it's more devastating to Molly to find out 
after the fact, right? Because I'm supposed to be your best friend, but I wasn't the first person that you told about this. I think we see the residual of that in that last scene where the two girls are really struggling to say goodbye to each other um, because there is so much still left to say, right? It's like, it's, it's, it's basically only been like a day <laughs> since their, their big fight when Amy leaves and there, there's still so much that they have to say to each other. And I think that is why it's so emotional for me to watch the last scene is there's a fear that they won't be able to do it that they won't be able to come back and repair that relationship and make space for each other in their friendship because they need space to be their own people, right? They can't just be symbiotically attached to each other. But, you know, Amy going off for a year, Molly still continuing with her plan, which is good for her, maybe not for Amy, but it's good for her, um, will allow them to maintain that independence within their relationship, um, and so I, I, again, I just, it's such a wonderful portrayal of friendship between two girls, I think, especially at this age where things are changing very quickly. You're being asked to become an adult very quickly, like live on your own and make these big decisions. Um, but sometimes you still feel like a child or you still feel like you don't feel like an adult, but maybe you don't feel like a child. You're just kind of stuck in between. Um, and you're going through these, these big life experiences as well. Um, so Thinking about female friendships, I actually looked up to see if there was any research on, like, teen movies and female friendships, and I found this really interesting article that was published in 2008 um, by Bem Morowitz and Mastro, and they were looking at um, if watching teen movies, how watching teen movies was related to, one, attitudes toward female friendships, and two, attitudes toward women's rights in general. So, of course, great study for Women's History Month. <laughs> um, so the first thing they found is that in general, an increased exposure to teen movies was related to more negative attitudes toward female friendships and more negative attitudes toward women's rights. So the more teen movies that participants said that they watched, the less likely they were to value female friendships and the less likely they were to value or appreciate women's rights. And when they broke down the results by gender, they found that for male participants, more watching of teen movies was related to more negative attitudes toward female friendships. So the male participants were the most affected by this relationship. They saw female friendships as, not how they saw it, but they just had like a bad negative attitude or, or not thinking that they were as important. Um, the, the authors also pointed out that a, kind of a phenomenon in these, in these movies that they were looking at, half of the study was actually a thematic analysis of, of teen movies and then looking at how people actually responded to them, was they found that uh, for female characters in these movies, social aggression is rewarded in the short term, but not in the long term, and that that might have something to do with the attitudes toward female friendships that were expressed by the people who watch more of these movies. So basically, social aggression is like what we could call bullying. It doesn't always meet the, the, the criteria of bullying, but uh, a good an example of social aggression within the film Booksmart is calling Annabelle triple A, right? Of like kind of lording someone's reputation over them and letting them know they have less value because of their reputation or what they've done. Right, so that would be a form of social aggression. Now, in the study done in 2008, which is, you know, 11 years before <laughs> Booksmart comes out, uh, the, the authors were talking about, well, in the short term, that type of social aggression would be rewarded. So if you think of the film, like the film Mean Girls, social aggression in that one, like, um, what's her name? Regina, the main, the main like, bully 
um, is very mean <laughs> to the people around her, but she's rewarded in the short term in the film by being the most popular girl in the school, having the hottest boyfriend, being, well, being the richest girl in school isn't really related to her social aggression, but she has all these, like, rewards in the short term. Now, generally in these movies, in the long term, the person engaging in social aggression is punished, and in Mean Girls, that is so true, Regina loses all of the things that she's gained, and she gets hit by a bus. <laughs> so she she kind of loses. In, in the long run, she is punished for her social aggression, and the reason why she is punished is because everyone around her finds her, you know, difficult because she's been so mean to them. Now, in Booksmart, the social aggression is immediately punished. So, for example, with Annabelle, when Molly says trip, calls her triple A and, like, says the kind of derogatory story, Amy immediately tells her, like, that's not cool. Like, don't say that. Right, and there and there's no benefit for Molly calling Annabelle triple A, um, and there's actually a consequence for it in that her friend, you know, tells her to stop, and and you know her friend doesn't approve. Um, and there's in general Molly is seemed to be quite socially aggressive, and she is quite rude <laughs> to a lot of the students in her class. But we see that they don't like her, and that. Uh, Molly is actually quite isolated um, socially. She doesn't have, we don't really see her have any other friends aside from Amy. Um, and it's pretty much shown to be that the consequences of her social aggression is that she doesn't have any other friends except for Amy. She's been socially isolated within her peer group. Um, and that would be different than in other, the movies that the original, or this 2008 study we're looking at, where a lot of the times the girls engaging in social aggression would be the popular girls. Um, so I think, I bring that all up just to say, like, I think that the way that female friendships have been represented in teen movies, especially newer teen movies or newer coming-of-age movies, um, might not have this effect, and that they they do a really good, they're good for society in, in the general because they pre present a representation of female friendships where social aggression isn't yielded like a weapon against each other. Because um, that was kind of the point the authors were making about why they got the results they did, where watching more of these teen movies led to worse attitudes about female friendships, Is that, especially in boys, is that, you know, what's presented in the movie um, is these, like, very toxic friendships where the girls are, like, mean to each other or that they're not true friends or they're, they backstab or whatever, you know, all these stereotypes we have about women in friendships being like too catty or, or whatever, right? Of like that, that women aren't, aren't capable of like being good friends with each other. Or if they are, it's going to be drama. Like girls are so much drama, right? That's kind of the message that more traditional or even in modern days, like more stereotypical teen movies, that's what they're presenting to you. Of course, if you're surrounded by this media and, and they found this relationship where the more teen movies you watch, the less likely you were to value female friendships. So the more you're consuming this media where the only example of female friendships you have is like these horrible catty people that, you know, can't be nice to each other or can't trust each other, um, then yeah, you're going to have pretty negative attitudes about it. And I know that sometimes we like to think that media doesn't influence <laughs> the way we see the world, but it really does, especially when we're younger and more impressionable, the things that we take in really impact how we then see the world around us and, and process uh, our relationships. And so I, I would love to see this study replicated and to see if now that we have movies like Booksmart, not only show female friendships 
in a more positive light, but also show them in more authentic light where, you know, there is social aggression when Molly and Amy are fighting, right? Like, like I said, they, they say what can hurt each other because they know each other the best, but rather than that just result in them falling apart, there is a resolution to it. We see them have a conversation the next morning while Amy's in jail. <laughs> we see them have a conversation where they kind of acknowledge like what went wrong. Molly apologizes for her role in this and for like not, you know, making an accommodating space for Amy to share her feelings. Like they are able to take accountability for for their role in the fight. And so, although there is like social aggression happening, rather than it being rewarded or punished, I think it's dealt with in an authentic way where there is an ability to repair after the aggression um, through an authentic, genuine apology. Um, and that, you know, keeping in mind like the history that these girls have together, like don't just throw away this relationship because of one fight, like they can work through it and not just forget about it, but actually acknowledge and, and grow and be better because of the experience. So all of that to say is, I, th- I think this study is really important and really interesting to talk about. And that's why I wanted to bring it up because um, I think I think it really does highlight how media can have an impact on the way that we see female friendships, um, and particularly as we are in Women's History Month. Uh, I think this is a this would be my takeaway: is to kind of pause and think about what are the messages you have about female friendships, whether it's as someone who identifies as a woman or as a feminine person, like, what are your internalized views of your friendships with other women or people who identify as women? Or if you don't identify as a woman, like, what are some of the stereotypes you hold about the women in your life and their friendships? And how does that impact the way that you interact with them, right? Like, are, you know, just to be honest, like, have you ever caught yourself saying things like, oh, I'm not friends with girls because they're too much drama, or, oh, I don't like hanging out with all girls because they're, they're just, it's just gossip, or it's just blah, 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 right? Like, encouragement would be to, like, kind of stop and reflect about where did that message first come to you? When did you start to, to kind of apply it to all situations? Um, and if you can figure out where it started, like, what was the source, right? Like, was it from media? maybe take an inventory of the media that you grew up with. Like what were the shows and TV uh, and movies that you were watching when you grew up, especially in this like very formative time and how might that have influenced um, the way that you think about these friendships? Because I I think honestly, I talked about this in the pick me girls episode too. I was one of these girls that was like, I don't want to be friends with the girls. It's too much drama, like blah, blah, blah. You know, I thought I was so cool because I didn't want to be around girls, I didn't want anyone to see me cry, I didn't want to have emotions, right? Like, and now I'm a therapist, so <laughs> that didn't work out well. Um, but all that to say of, like, uh, you know, I think a big, I think a part of that was also the messages I was getting from culture, whether that was TV, movies, you know, music that I listened to, um, or quite honestly, like, online spaces of starting to Growing up, the internet was finally accessible to everyone in our pockets. Like most of us started to have smartphones or personal laptops so that you could really be in these online spaces. And I was getting these messages reinforced to me. Um, And it's something that having, like being able to be aware of has been able to change my relationship to female friendships or other women in my life and not seeing them through this lens of internalized misogyny or inherent competition, you know, or, or whatever 
other issues I have that I can tell my therapist about and not say on this podcast. <laughs> um, but that I think that's my like call to action for for the episode. And I think is one of the very powerful things that Booksmart brings is that it is a different look at female friendships, particularly in adolescence. Um, and, and there are other movies that are starting to do this. Movies that are being directed by women and women identifying people who um, you know, can tell these stories in a very authentic way from their own experience um, and be able to represent it in a way that is, again, more authentic and less just based on, on a stereotype. Um, so I think that kind of about covers it for, for me and the film Booksmart. Again, highly, highly recommend. It is streaming on Hulu right now um, if you want to watch it. Um, or you can rent it on any of those like movie rental sites. Um, but it's super good. Great soundtrack. I will be listening to the soundtrack <laughs> later today uh, just because it's just such a vibe. It really has all of the emotions you could want out of adolescence, um, but, you know, at a distance because we don't need to revisit those 100%. Um, so, yeah, thank you again for listening all the way to the end. I have more things coming for the month that are going to focus on women or like women's history and make sure to follow us on Instagram to check out those Instagram posts that will be starting to roll out um, probably over the weekend. Um, And with that, uh, I just want to say thank you for listening and I will see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. To see the sources and resources mentioned in the episode, visit psychologicallymindedpod.com or click the link in the show notes. To contact me with any questions or comments about this topic or upcoming episodes, email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you and see you in the next episode.